freezing. Oh. Man, uh, my, my beautiful wife, Bernie, sends her love. Uh, she was texting me last night saying, man, uh, how was it? And I was telling her about your, the commission service yesterday. And oh, I was telling her about the men's ministry thing. And she goes, I'm jealous. I wish I was there. I, said, I told you to come. <laughs> but it wasn't really uh, safe for her to come. Yeah. So I just want to honor um, Pastor Sini, Pastor Fina, Pastor Jordan, uh, Pastor Jamaica, Pastor Andrew, your lovely wife there. You know, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you. May the Lord keep you steadfast, amen? You know, this morning I felt like the Lord put on my heart to challenge you, to encourage you, to inspire you. And I want to talk to you this morning about what are you hearing and what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? See, it's cold see it's cold so you behave in a way where you get dressed accordingly because of what you see what you see affects how you behave and I want to encourage you what are you seeing what are you hearing God wants to do something good this morning amen my great worship hey great worship man it's all good <coughs> check it on what do you see turn with me if you're in your bible to um the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts uh, chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at Peter and John who go up to the gate beautiful. And they're going to meet a man who's, who's a beggar all his life. 40 years plus he's a beggar. He's got no strength in his legs. He's crippled. And every, every Sabbath he'll go up there and they'll lay him there and he'll beg for money. But his life's about to change. And Peter and John see him, and they perceive he has faith. Have you ever gone to some people, and they're looking at you as if they want something from you? Like, no, is that bad? Are you stalking me? You're looking at me weird, you know? And sometimes we can misinterpret a moment. And we don't realize that a moment can turn into a movement. If only you would just dare to believe that you are a carrier of the presence of God. Because when you realize that you carry the presence of God, you won't be offended when people look at you. You'll look at it for an opportunity. Oh, oh you want something from me? I, silver and gold, I got none. But what I do have, I'll give it to you. Oh, I don't want that. Oh, yes, you do. You just don't know it. <laughs> and they go up to the gate, beautiful, and they, they say to the young man, Silver and gold I have none, but what I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he gets up. Say, gets up. There's only two of you in the house this morning. Okay. <laughs> I know it's cold. I know it's cold, man. But he gets up. Say, gets up. <laughs> How good is it that a man who's been crippled for 40 years can get up at the name of Jesus? But can I tell you, it's not only the name of Jesus that made this man well. Mm. We're going to read the context of the scripture, right? So a notable miracle comes in, and then they have to give an account of what just happened. Because they're not allowed to teach or preach in the name of Jesus. The Holy Ghost has just fallen on the, on the, on the disciples in the upper room. Now they're on their way. You know, they've received this empowerment, but they don't actually know what to do with it. And they're just like, let's just give it away. 
Let's just give it away. Some of you got Holy Ghost, you don't realize you can just give it away. Hey? You're too busy holding on to it. I don't want I don't oh, I don't want to tell anyone about Jesus, man. They'll think I'm a weirdo. But can I just say that signs follow the preaching of the word? Signs follow the preaching of the word. So if you want to see God move, it's not because God's not moving. It's because you're not giving it away. Watch this. In Acts chapter 3. Are you all right there? Verse 11, 311. Now the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon, and they were greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now here we go. Here we go. I want to tell you this. When God does a miracle, it's because he wants to bring a message. See, when God does miracles or a sign, it's so that the people go, what is this? What is this? Why is a miracle taking place? And then the, the gospel message gets preached. Sometimes we do a miracle and we're just so excited about the miracle we forgot to preach the message. We, get, we, we forget. We get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in it. Let it become a normal part of your life. Let the message be the thing that excites you because it's the power of God to salvation. You know, when I was a young Christian, I went and prayed for my my um my mum had cancer. She was dying of cancer. She had five years to live. She told us two, three years into it. So she had two years left. And I'm like radically saved. I just got born again. And I was like, Mama, Jesus died on a cross for you. You can be saved. You can be healed. She goes, no, son, God's going to deal with me. I said, yeah, he died for you. He exchanged your sickness for, for, for the healing power of Jesus. No, son, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, you're kidding me. So how do I get the message to her? Anyway, I go to her mum, my nana. She's an old Irish lady, laying in bed. She goes, hey, I hear you're going to church, son. I said, yeah. Is it a good church? I said, absolutely. I'm going to save her, not long. She says, pray for me, bless me. I said, oh, Lord, bless it. <laughs> I didn't know what she meant by blessing because Irish is like, you know, really weird. So I pray for her. I said, Father, I pray, strengthen her bones that she can walk. Bless her eyes, she can read a book. In Jesus' name, amen. And I went home. The next day, my mum rings me. Hey, did you go and pray for your, your nana? I said, yeah. She asked me to. Why is that? She goes, well, half an hour after you left, she went to the toilet. I was like, well, that's information, isn't it? <laughs> okay. And she went in, um, into, the, into the sitting room and almost gave your auntie a heart attack because she read a Women's Weekly magazine. I said, oh, cool. What's the issue? She hasn't walked in six months. She's 98% blind. She can't read. I said, well, mum, at least you know Jesus can heal you, eh? <laughs> you think she gets saved? No. My, my, my brother thinks I'm joining a cult. Brainwashed. Gone from fighting, drinking, smoking, ripping things off and putting it on. You know? <laughs> Now I've got my head, you know, I'm coming to the Bible and all my friends are like, what are you doing? 
do dealing with the tight stuff, you know, doing all those sly ones. Nah, nah, nah. So what you see here is not what was then. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Can I just say what you see now is not what it's going to be. That if you start a journey with God, God promises to transform you from the inside out, not through rules and regulations. Yeah? Just threw that in there for free. And, and what happened was, I went, to, I went to my brother and I said, hey, bro, what's wrong with your boy? He's crying. He goes, we haven't slept in three days. I said, what happened? He said, oh, he's burst his ear. I said, can I pray for you? What for? Oh, I believe Jesus can heal you. Because they think I'm brainwashed. They think I'm doing a cult. So when I pray for boys, they let me. It's three-year-old. Father, that they may know I'm not crazy or in some cult, but that I serve the living God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I just rebuke the pain. Blah, blah, blah. Baby stops crying. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and my brother's like, bro. I said, don't bro me, man. That's not me. That's God. You broke off. <laughs> Thank God. And I walk out and I say to my, I say to my beautiful queen, I say, hey, get out. And I walk up Kenneth's Creek and I'm like, whoa, Jesus can heal, man. Whoa, that's amazing. Did they get saved? No. So I'm really annoyed that God would turn up and do a miracle and not one of their hearts are moved to receive Christ. So then I'm watching an advert because I'm having a bit of a whinge to God. How many whinge to God sometimes? You know? And I'm saying, God, how come no one's getting saved in my family, man? It's like that. You heal them. You blah, 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 blah. And then I, he doesn't tell me because, you know, he's not going to pander to my little pity party. And I watch an infomercial ad on TV and there's a fella with a block of ice around a motor. Because in America, the, it snows and then, you know, the cars don't start up. And, and so what they do is they brought his motor into the studio and it's covered in ice and they put oil in the car and then boom, 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 boom. Remember that, man? Yeah. And then a fellow standing next to him goes like this, even though I see it with my own eyes, I still don't believe it. And then straight away, Holy Spirit said to me, son, miracles don't save you. It is through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the power of God to salvation to him that believe. Now, come on. The miracle is supposed to stimulate the thought of what is this so that you can then go and preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so here we have this young man who's had a notable miracle and he's holding on to Peter and John and now they have to go into the church to give an account of what happened. And they get threatened. Not allowed to do that. Can't do that. And in, in chapter 4 of Acts, it says this, Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the sad you sees, they are sad, you see. Hey, you heard that one? Yeah. They came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody to the next day got thrown into jail for their faith, like the, pre, like the pastor in America, in Canada. He got dragged out of his church. He got dragged out of his church for believing the gospel over the, 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 the culture of the world, which says you cannot get together in your church and worship your God, but you can go to the pub. It's okay. Can't tell me that's not a spiritual attack against the church. And can I just say, you don't know what you believe until you're in a moment where you decide. Am I going to stand for God, get persecuted? Or am I going to cower away? Am I going to walk away from the faith because of someone's going to give you a name? You're crazy. 
oh, I'm offended, I'm going to walk away. Now, your God is real, amen? And it's time, church, that we live like it. All right. And they, they, they grabbed him, they put them into prison. However, many of those who heard the word believed. What did they hear? The word. Did they see the miracle? But they heard the... And the number of men that came about with 5,000 people. They're in jail. 5,000 people come to Christ. There's a lot of criminals in Israel in those days. And it came to pass. This is good news. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers and elders and uh, uh, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and many who were of the family of the high priest, they gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst and asked them, watch this, by what power and by what name have you done this? See, the miracle was to ask a question. When, when a sign happens, it's supposed to tell you, hey, what's going on? Which way do I go? And Peter, filled of the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders of Israel, if we this day have been judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means has this man been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God has raised from the dead. See, humanity declared Jesus guilty and God went, yeah, I'll just override that. Sorry, son. Yeah. I'm going to raise him from the dead. It's pretty powerful. Whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. Something takes place in Peter as the boldness. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they, they perceived, I love this bit, that they were uneducated. Don't you love that? You don't have to be educated to qualify to be a vessel for God to be used. I was asked to leave college. College didn't suit me. <laughs> then I went to put it all college for a day and went, yeah, now nah, college doesn't suit me. Got told I'll never amount to nothing. Do nothing. Thank God God calls the, 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 the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I said, I can't tell you how many marriages I've seen restored and made whole. How many people were prayed for and watched them get healed. You're not amount to nothing in the world, but God will say, I'll choose you. In fact, he said to the disciples, come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. You follow Jesus, you follow Jesus, church, and he will make you. He'll make you. He'll make me what? Make you a vessel of honor. All right. They marveled. They perceived that they were uneducated, untrained. They marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. Seeing the man who was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done. You know, I'll tell you what, you, you can do anything for God. You can do something pretty powerful for your community, and people are still going to complain. Why are they complain? It's not because they're idiots. It's because they're under the influence of a devil who's an idiot. 
Because, you know, you're either in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of the devil. And can I say, if you have one foot in both camps, you're going to get in trouble. Because you're either going to love one and hate the other. But here's the dangerous thing is that you, if you have two, you have a foot in each camp, the delusion is to think that you're still saved. Because if you are born again of the Spirit of God, the Bible tells me you cannot sin. So if you're practicing sin, like sex out of marriage, hooking up with your girl, hooking up with your boy, can I just say, you're in danger of hell. Come out from amongst them, be separate, trust God and he'll use you. Amen. Your friends can go and do that stuff, that's fine. Because they're going to die and one day meet with Jesus. But the sad thing is you know the truth. Make a decision, amen. It's a decision. God's real hard on sexual sin than he is on any most sins. You know why? Because you become one with that person you have sex with. You become one. Not physically only. I mean, there are times where my wife and I, we've been married nearly 29 years now, this year. She finishes my sentence. Or I think something and she'll talk about it. We're really one, you know? You become one spiritually, and the two shall become one. So God's, and, and when you sin, you sin against your own body. So sometimes you're going to be in a relationship, and even married couples, you're going to be in a relationship, and you're going to get to a point where you go, oh, I'm just not in love no more. And that's probably because you've had previous relationship before you got married, and you still got soul ties to the past, and they're getting in the midst of your relationship, and you've got to realize you've got to break the soul tie in order to really embrace the, the, the oneness with your own spouse. All right. That was for free. Sorry. What shall we do for these men? Indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them as evidence to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. We're not going to get saved, but we can't deny it either. But so that this spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. That from now on, they will speak no more in that name. So they called them and commanded them to speak, not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said this, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Can I say we're living in a time where your government's going to tell you something and you're going to have to make a decision to listen to God or the government. And only you can make that decision for you and your family. And whatever decisions you make, you're going to have to be accountable for the decision you make. That you allow the sneer of man to sneer you, or you allow the faith of Jesus Christ to rule your life. Because how many know Jesus is risen from the dead? Only three of you. Okay. That's good. We're going to have an altar call shortly. <laughs> how, many, how many know Jesus rose from the dead? Okay. Now, how many you live like he has been risen from the dead? If he really is resurrected in your, uh, in your heart and in your life, you actually live a way that pleases God. So when you're about to go and sin, you'll be like, oh no, Jesus is watching me because he's alive. He's not on the totem pole. He's not, he's not hung up on a cross at the back of the church and looking down at you like <laughs> He's not there. He's risen from the dead. Amen. And because he's risen, you can have faith in him. Amen. All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Right, this is, the, this is the key verse that I wanted to get to. And then I'll start my sermon. 
Sorry. <laughs> so they called him and commanded him not to speak or teach in that name of Jesus. But Peter said, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge for we, here we go. Verse 20. For we cannot, say cannot, speak the things which we have seen and heard how can we not testify of jesus when we've seen it and we have heard it can you remember when you first got saved you didn't need someone to tell you go share the gospel you just went out and shared why because you couldn't help but give away that which you had Boy. My question then is, how did they get that? How did they get that sort of sense of how can we not talk about what we've both seen and heard? You know, Jesus said, "I don't do nothing. I first don't see my Father do. I don't speak nothing unless I first hear my Father speak." See, the disciples followed Jesus' example of being able to see and to hear. My question to you is what are you seeing God do for you? And what are you hearing Him say to you? Because if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you will fumble around in this world confused about what the purpose of life is. Because when God begins to speak to you, no matter your circumstance, it might not change your circumstance, but it will change you. A word from God would change you and give you capacity to see. Psalms 119 says, The word is a lamp unto your feet. It's a light unto your path. How many in your Christian walk you going, I just don't know what the Lord is doing? How many have done that? You don't have to ask this, all right. right. Can I just say that probably the reason you can't see what God is doing is because you've lost vision. You become dull in your hearing. Because no matter what you're facing, God will speak to you. And the word of God is a lamp. What's a lamp do? A lamp lets you walk one step at a time. But a light lets you see down the road. What's God's plan for my life? Oh, I can't see. It's probably because there's no word in your life. Oh, Pastor, I, I use an app. Gives me a verse a day. How many of you do that? Yeah, it keeps me going, yeah. But if that's all your depth of your word life is, you are malnourished. You will not be able to see in the time of adversity. See, because this time that we got right now, this is called peace. This is peace. You play rugby? like God's going to open doors for you, right? But he wants you to say, I want to say this. Be faithful in the little. Yeah? Be faithful in the little. Do the 1% as well. Don't get more. Don't get light. Because God will open doors for you. Ooh, when you do, remember me. Nah! <laughs> He's on you. He's on you. but he wants to show you 
before he shows you what to do. And the way he's going to do that is through the word. And I know you love God. I can see it on you. But he's saying, I, wanna, I want you to see me. You know, like, take me. So you see me. But you don't know me. You can still see me. But you don't know me. But if I come kick out with you, we're going to become buddies. Then you get to know all my ugliness, all my God wants to do the same for you. You know God, but now he wants to come and sit with you. And he wants to get to know you. And then he's going to speak to you. And you're going to begin to see. And you're going to start to run. And he'll begin to put purpose in your spirit. And when you go to, to train, you'll train like God's on you. When you're at home, when you're at home, you'll honor your home. You will actually clean your room. <laughs> because what you do in the secret place when no one's watching, God rewards you openly in the pub public when everyone's watching. And see these fellows here, the disciples, they were untrained, uneducated. But they perceived they had been with Jesus. Can I say to you this morning, your breakthrough is in your connection. When was the last time you stopped being busy and spent time with Jesus? Oh, I can see it. How many want to make a difference in our community? To the level that you spend time with Him will determine the impact you have out there. And I'll tell you what, if you don't spend time with him, you will try to get people to come to church. Why so Pastor Jordan can teach them the Bible and preach. But you know, a pastor's role is not to feed you. It's to equip you so you go out and do the ministry. Well, I'm not called to like pastor. I didn't say called to pastor. Where are you right now in your world? Are you at school? That's your ministry. Are you in the doctors and the lawyers? Are you in the workplace? Are you at uni? That's your ministry. And the pastor can equip you to walk out God in that moment. Instead of getting them to come to church, you be the church. You love on the unloved. But if you don't connect with Jesus first, you won't see his heart for that loss. You, all you'll see is the, 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 the ugliness of their behavior. And you'll judge them from afar. And gone are the days where God wants us to judge people and throw stones at them because they don't live up to your standards. And how we forgot that we were like that before we got saved. And somehow we've become holier than thou, you know? But these fathers that are miracle, and, and, and then they got told, you can't talk in the name of Jesus. And it says, how, how can we not talk about what we've both seen and heard? And I want to tell you, if you're going to make a difference here, in Wainu Amara, you have to learn to see and hear what God is doing with you. What God is doing with you. Oh, but, you know, God's using Jordan. You know, that's good. Woe is me. I'm not really, you know, I'm uneducated. Well, there's no excuse now because you just read that they were uneducated to me. <laughs> oh. The only difference between you and the disciple was that they had been with Jesus. My question to you is, how much do you spend with Jesus? Like, he's alive. Church, he's alive. I work in the disability sector in, in Australia at the moment. 
And I had a, I had a client, I was talking about this the other night, I had a client who was epileptic. He was an epileptic. Been in our system for 10 years before I got to him. But they never told me he was epileptic. They just said, have a coffee with him. I said, I can, I can do that. 50-year-old man, have a coffee. I said, I like coffee. I love Jesus. I love coffee. I love, you know, I love Jesus. I love my family. I love coffee. And I love rugby league. Come on. <clears throat> and so I hang out with him. First day, he has an epileptic fit in the middle of the motorway. Oh, He's like this tall. I have to drag him off the road, make sure he's okay. Hospital, boom. For three months, he starts having like eight a day seizures. I'm like, oh, gee. The first day he did it, I ring the boss. Hey, is this fellow epileptic? He's oh, yeah, tell him. We've got to tell him. Like, thanks, man. After three months, I'm like, okay, I'm the carrier of your faith. I, I believe you. Why have you got me working with him? Like, I don't just go to work to earn a living. Can I just say, you don't go to work just to learn a living. There's actually someone in that workplace or at your school that God wants you to speak to. But when you become ignorant of what's inside you or unaware of what's inside you, you fail to walk with God. You don't, you, oh, I'll leave that to the past. They'll be all right. No, no, you have the Spirit of God in you. If you are born again this morning, you can do the same things the disciples did. Amen? Only this side saved today. It's all right. I'll come on this side, Pastor Jordan. <laughs> So for three months, he starts having seizures that are pretty intense, man. And I have to pick him in the mall, on the ground, in his house. And I say to the why you got me here? Holy Spirit says to me, more or less, he said, he didn't say this, but I feel like he said it out drunk nasty. He said, he doesn't have epilepsy. I was like, oh, I'll pick him off the ground. I think he does. You know, because we think we know better than God who sees all things and knows all things. We do, we, we go, oh, it's the Lord. Pick them up. And sometimes what happens in the natural shapes what we believe. Instead of allowing the word of God to shape what we experience. Can I say not everything that's spiritual is God either. You can't just attach Jesus to spiritual stuff and think it's okay. You have to filter it through the word of God. And if you don't have a word life, you've got no discernment. You've got no understanding of what pleases God and what doesn't. Amen? Oh, I don't have time. Just give me that. So I said, oh, no, he's got epilepsy. He's got big pills. He's been in the system for 10 years. And he says, no, he's got deep-rooted trauma. And the only way he knows how to express it is for a fit. He said he was adopted when he was 30. I'm hearing this in my prayer because I spend time with God. It's not about, oh, I got a title and God will speak to me like that. No, no, God was talking to me like that before I even got a title. The title is just a public acknowledge of what we're doing in the secret place anyway. Yeah? And so what happened was, he said he was adopted at 30, and he found out at his mum's funeral when he realized his parents were not his biological parents. He already had a disability, but he was traumatized at that moment, and boom, for the next 20 years, he was having seizures. I thought, what do you want me to do about it? There's no good having knowledge, and you, what do you do with that? He says, I want you to validate him as a man. So I go back to work the next day with a bit of excitement, weird feeling of, oh, no. I said, bro, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. I said, were you adopted? He goes, yes. He's like six foot four easy. I said, were you around 30 years old when you found out? He goes, yeah, around the time my mum. I was like, oh. He goes, why do you ask that question? 
now I have to be careful because I'm going to straight check it too. I said, like, oh, you're hearing voices too, are you? <laughs> you laugh, but in the mental health, you hear voices. And you have to be able to distinguish between the voice of God and the voice of reason and the voice of the devil. Because the devil will trap you in your thinking. Anxiety. What about anxiety? Anyone suffer from anxiety in here? Put your hand up. Anxiety. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Have you ever cut yourself? Have you ever cut yourself? When you cut yourself, the nerves in your brain tell you you have to go and get a plaster. Hey, I hope so. When you cut yourself, I'm going to tell you the remedy for anxiety. Are you ready? When you cut yourself, the nerves in your thumb tell your brain you have to go and get it sorted. If you don't, what happens to it? It gets infected. And the cut becomes worse than what it really was. And some of us, we're starting to be anxiety. Anxiety, deep anxiety. I suffered from anxiety. I had panic attacks. Now, I can let the circumstance dictate to me and the doctor dictate to me, or I can allow the word of God to come alive and speak to me. And he said this to me. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, pray. The key to your breakthrough, when you're anxious, it's telling you it's time to it's time to, now I'm not saying this, dear God, help me for this day. No, I'm talking about praying. Pray to your breakthrough. And what happened was your spirit will, will, will actually begin to free and because the word of God will liberate you. And that in the light of God's word, you'll see life instead of anxiety. Because anxiety is a clamp that gets down into your emotions and it gets right down into your trauma. And then what happens is when you take, and I'm not anti-medication, but when you take medication, it capsulates the anxiety and it traps it so it's in you for a long, 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 long time. Like a cut tells you it's time to go and get a Band-Aid. When you have anxiety, I try it and tell me in a month what happens. Every time you get anxiety attacks, pray. Pray, pray for God. Pray, God, God, I touch you. I want you, I need you. God, desperate, anxious God. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing, but in all things pray, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will keep your heart and mind in Christ. What's he saying? He's saying this, that the, the, the proof that anxiety has come away from your life is that you will begin to have peace, and your brain will not be able to understand why there's peace there. It's because you trust God. In fact, Isaiah says, God keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him because they trust him. So when there's peace in the midst of anxiety, it's a proof that you trust God. Mm. So oh, that's a challenge for you. When you're anxious, pray and tell me what happens. Pray. Don't do it like a, a dear God bless our food kind of pray. I'm talking about pray to your God who can heal you. Pray to your God who can save you, deliver you, restore you. Amen? So anyway, with, with, getting back to my man. So he's having epileptic fits, and I tell him the stuff. He's freaking. He goes, oh, 
how, how come you're asking me this? I said, well, talking to the Lord upstairs about you, buddy. He goes, what? So I'm a Christian and I believe I hear God talk to me about you. He told me stuff about you. He said, what? Now, when they say what, did you know that's faith? They want to hear. Faith comes by hearing. So when you pose a question, they go, like what? They actually want to know. That's faith. So you better tell them something. And I said, you know, he told me that you are fearfully that when you were in your mama's womb, he knew you by name. He would never own a mistake. He gets up and says, oh, do you want a coffee, Mel? And he goes off and makes me a coffee. And over six to eight months, or probably about a year long by the time we finished with the process, he went from eight a day to five a day, six a day, two a day, epileptic fit. And all I was doing every day was going, bro, you're the man. You're awesome. You're amazing. You know, I encourage him every day. And then they take me off him. Give me another client. And a week after that, the owner of the company rings me and says, hey, I thought I'd better let you know. Um, and this was six years ago. That um, His name was Fred. He goes, taking him to Brisbane to get his brain sorted, to sort out his epilepsy. And they can't, he, he goes, he does not have epilepsy. I was like, oh, really? Oh, I said, what about the fits? He goes, they call it pseudo-epilepsy. I go, oh, what's pseudo-epilepsy? He says, when it, they got trauma in their subconscious, it's rooted so deep that the only way they can through a fit. And I was like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise the Lord. Now I can go, oh, wow, Mal knows a lot. <laughs> or I can realize there's a mission to go in and bring sound mind to people who, who, who have been trapped in a lifestyle of abuse, of drugs, of addictions, and all that stuff. And you and I, who are carriers of the presence of God, can walk in and actually bring change to them. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Because that sounds magnificent. But how do we do it? The same way these disciples did it, they said, how can we not tell what we've both seen and heard? And I want to ask you this one. What are you seeing God do with you? Oh, nothing, pastor. Well, then start looking. Because God is working with you and for you and in you and through you. He's interested in your rugby. He's interested in your, listen, your bedroom. <laughs> He's interested. Because if you can't look, oh, I tell my kids, if you can't look after your bedroom, don't go looking for a relationship. Relationships are more complicated than a bedroom. <laughs> write it down, write it down. Don't try to run before you've learned to walk. Are you like one family? Is that your family? Right. The Spirit of God is on you. And I, this is what I feel. Yeah, I'm going straight to this. I feel like there's a lot of temptation to turn left, instead of stay with God. Opportunities will come your way because you, I don't know, you're gifted. You've got talents that people would die for. And it's on you, and it's natural talent, gifted by your parents. But there's coming a time where temptation will try to woo you away from honoring your mum and your dad because your friends that you're with will corrupt your good habits and I want you to know this that when it happens you'll know ahead of time because I'm telling you don't be distracted don't get down the drink don't get down the other stuff boys will come you girls are beautiful boys will come don't go there say uh uh put a ring on I married my wife when I was 18 
my family said, you're dumb. I'm still married. They all divorced. Why? Because you honor God. Honor God with your sports. God will take you places. Honor God off the field. He'll take you places. There's a real anointing on your family. There's a real call of God on your family. Do you sing? Your whole family sings? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I feel like, do you write music? You write music? Okay. Yeah. I feel like God wants me to tell you that he's got music in heaven waiting for you. Like there are music, there are notes, there are lyrics that are in the heart of God that when he thought about you, he wrote it in a book and said, one day she'll discover it. And I will make it known to you the things that I have and plan for you because you're going to come to know me. Don't look to the left or the right. Your anointing on you destroys yokes and removes the burden. Amen? And you're going to have such a confidence. But I want to encourage you. It starts at home. When you honor the mom, when you honor your dad, when you honor your dad, I honor you, buddy. <laughs> Trust me, I deal with that too, man, and I'm a bit older. But the anointing on you, I just be serious. The anointing on your family is powerful. You're going to change people's lives. You're going to change people's lives. Yeah? Keep doing what you're doing. Love God. Do what you do. Honor your mom and dad. You're going to change lives. You're going to go around. I, I think, like, I feel like you're going to travel through sports. When it does, remember this. And I want you to know this, that God is with you when you're going to travel. So you don't need to be afraid. You sing? What do you do? You look like you can't sing. <laughs> what do you do? Study. Mm. Study. Study. You know what the word says about study? Study to show yourself approved of God. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed while handling the word of God. It's almost like God's giving you academic ability, but you're going to become an educator. I feel like God's going to give you wisdom to educate in a way that's so relative to the people, but yet it's going to change the course of young people's lives. Are you a youth leader? Are you a youth leader? Oh, Jesus. Yeah. You're born for great things. Your family is blessed. You follow this. I don't know. Is your, is your family Christian? Because there's a legacy. I just, yeah. I see a legacy on your family. Write songs, Cheryl. Write songs. Sing. Let God into your world and he'll change you. Yeah? And then you'll be able to tell what you're saying. You know, sometimes, you know, when I'm up here, I don't know if you see it, but I do it all the time, but I'm up here and I'm like this. And, and I've been into the music. But when I was 17, I had a vision of going to heaven. And I was standing with all the angels. And every time I get into the presence, I feel it. It takes me to that moment. I can't help but tell you. Christianity is never meant to be a theology. He wants you to encounter him. Because you don't know what you know until you're in, in a moment. You know why there was two trees in the Garden of Eden? The tree of the life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because Adam and Eve had a free will to choose. Do you know if there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil, there's no right to choose. So your free will is not free. Because free will is not free until you have something else to choose. And you have a free will, and there will come moments where you can choose. And it's in that moment you do what you believe. 
And if you're not spending time with God, you'll choose the default of your heart, which is always Because if you're not told to, what's your default to be the real revelation of God? So whether you're going on with God or you're not, you will choose that path. Amen? All right, I'll conclude with this. The disciples only did what they saw and did because Jesus only did what he saw and did. My question to you is, what are you seeing God do with you? What are you hearing God say to you? You might say to me, Pastor Man, I'm not hearing God speak to me at all. I want to tell you that's a lie. Because <laughs> God speaks to you, but sometimes you don't do what God's asking you to do. So why would he tell you to do something else? So go back to what he last told you. Maybe you journaled it. Maybe you've got it in your memory. Go back and say, how can I do this? Some of you are called to the ministry in terms of like worship, serving the church. We should all serve the church. Amen. I'll go this side because that's nice. We're all called to serve the church in some capacity, whether it's for your tithing, for your money, for your, your gifting. We're all called to it. But you have to ask yourself, what are you willing to lay down for Jesus? Not for the pastor. What are you willing to lay down for Jesus? How much has the impact of your salvation affected you? That you would lay your life down and say, God, you saved me, here am I. But when God uses you, you go, nah, I don't want to be used. Let's be told of one another. I, I can tell you this. If you lay your life down, God will meet you where you are. Amen? God will meet you where you are. I ask God about sex. When I was a young Christian, young married, I was like, why does sex consummate a man? In my prayer, because I was interested. Why does sex consummate a man? And he says, son, do you remember my covenant with Abraham? I do. So I go to the scripture. You know, there's four o'clock in the morning I'm reading. Because I want God. And he said, what sealed the covenant? Said, the blood. He said, the blood and the semen and the blood and the fire, when they break. I went, oh, what about? And he never told me some other stuff, but it was great. There is nothing that you can't ask God that he won't have an answer for. You just got to sometimes ask the question Why am I here, God? It's not good going, Pastor Sidney, why am I here? He goes to clean the toilet. <laughs> hey, better go to God first. Why am I here? Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey. It's a better example, you know. Why am I here? What am I called to do? What have you done in my life that can impact someone else? What is my story? What is my testimony? What have I seen you do so that I can release that? You can only give away what you got. Amen? Can I say you've got a lot? And I think there's people sitting here that have got too much. What do you mean you've got too much? You've got so much you haven't given nothing away. And you become idle, stagnant in your faith. You're like, oh, I'm not in love with Jesus. I love Jesus, but I'm not really in love with him. You know, marriage can be like that, eh? Oh, I love her, but I'm just not in love with her. That's because you're not investing. Because you're stopped investing in your spouse. No, but she's not, or he's not. Stop it. Start. You start. And watch God do something amazing in your life. Amen? God called you. He loved you. He wants you to begin to see what he sees. Here, what he wants to say to you. Amen. God bless you. Have a good day.
First of all, today you've come this morning and I want to pray for a few people, if that's okay. 